edition for the Wise Up TX podcast. This is your host, Ezra Siddiqui. As a reminder, Wise Up TX is my platform to inform the South Asian and Muslim communities about Texas and national politics. You can also follow us on all forms of social media, such as Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Our handle is at WiseUpTX. You can check out our podcasts, which are on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher, and also aired on Radio Saad on Monday mornings, Coffee Mornings with Aisha. Last but not least, you can also check out our website, www.wiseuptx.com. Remember, everyone, let's get educated, let's get wiser, and let's start giving a hoot. All right, y'all, we have a jam-packed segment for y'all today. Um, We also have an interview with Salman Bojani. Um, In case you haven't been reading the news, tisk tisk. just to let y'all know, he just won a city council race in the city of Euless, which is a suburb of North Dallas. And he had a really tough... Uh, race for city council primarily because his own state representative, state rep Stickland, uh, campaigned against him primarily for the only reason was because he's a Muslim and he tried to incite some fear tactics into the residents of Euless. And fortunately, uh, the city of Euless did not listen to Representative Stickland and Salman Bojani won his election by 37 votes. That was the initial vote count uh, from election night. And I really wanted to have y'all listen to what Salman Bojani had to say about running an election, running a campaign, why he did it, and how he overcame the Islamophobia that came his way. But first, um, before we get into that, I'm going to go over some important news items. Um, So first, with regards to Texas politics, uh, the Texas primary runoffs happened last week, and they were an exceptionally low voter turnout. Um, On the Democratic side, only 415,000 Democrats cast ballots in the um, governor runoff. For reference, that's a decline of almost 60% from the 1 million Texans who cast ballots in the March Democratic primary. some people that won that we interviewed was uh, Shri Preston Kulkarni, who is going to be running for Congress in the cities of Sugarland, Pearland, and Katy. Uh, we interviewed Laura Moser, and she did not win her runoff, but Lizzie Fletcher did for District 7, and it was a very hotly contested race. Uh, for the Democrats, um, for the governor race, Lupe Valdez is the Democratic candidate, and um, she is the first um, gay female Latino um, that is elected for that position. So we'll see how that governor race goes. And on the Republican side, Chip Roy, he was the former chief of staff for Senator Ted Cruz, is also running for Congress um, for Representative Lamar Smith's seat, and he also won his Republican primary runoff. Um, Overall, for the Texas legislature, it looks like more on the Republican side, more moderates won. Whereas for the congressional seats, for the Republican Party, it looks like more Tea Party Republicans won their primaries. And as you know, Texas is very Republican. And if the district is heavily Republican, seems like these Tea Party candidates have a sure shot to win in November. And um, I don't think Tea Party candidates are really representative for the South Asian and Muslim communities. So I don't think this really bodes well for the state of Texas. All right. So now that you have a broad overview of what happened in the primary runoffs, don't forget the election is coming up in November and you'll be voting for every single one of your state house reps that represents you in Austin. You'll also be voting on your U.S. congressional reps that uh, represent you in D.C. in the 
um, U.S. House of Representatives. You'll also be voting for one U.S. Senator. It'll be Ted Cruz versus Beto O'Rourke. You'll also be voting for all your statewide candidates, such as your governor, lieutenant governor, attorney general, comptroller, um, ag commissioner, and some Supreme Court justices on the state level as well. So make sure you're starting to wise up for the November election. All right, moving on um, to some really sad news. Um, you all obviously heard what happened in Santa Fe High School. The shootings, unfortunately, 10 people died. And school shootings seem to be happening on a regular basis um, as of the past couple of years, and it's pretty, pretty scary, right? Um, it looks like Governor Abbott held three roundtable discussions, and they did include with gun advocates and gun reform advocates. He also met with those kids from Santa Fe High School, and it looks like Governor Abbott is open to some sort of gun reform. Um, but he is focusing largely on what could be done without legislative approval. Again, the Texas legislature meets in January of 2019. So when people had asked if he was willing to do a special session um, to discuss the issues of school shootings, he kind of brushed it off. He thinks that we need to work on solutions um, right now instead of working on legislation. Um, but I would like to note that, you know, some gun reform groups such as Moms Demand Action and March for Our Lives um, were not included in these roundtable discussions, but Texas Gun Sense, which advocates for further gun restrictions, um, did um, attend the panel. I also wanted to give some statements as to what some of our Texas legislature's uh, legislative um, officials said, such as our Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. He stated we need to look at the design of the schools to prevent school shootings. Um, I quote that he stated we may have to look at the design of our schools moving forward and retrofitting schools that are already built. He said, and what I mean by that is there are too many entrances and too many exits to our over 8,000 campuses in Texas. Uh, personally speaking, um, we're already underfunding public education. I'm not sure where the funding is going to come from to redesigning our schools. Um, moving on, our Attorney General Ken Paxton also wrote an op-ed for USA Today about how we should look to Israel's security when it comes to protecting our kids at school, and I quote from the article, he stated, nothing is foolproof. No policy proposal will work 100% of the time, nor will it eradicate evil men intent on wanton destruction. There is a deep-seated cultural decay, fatherless children, degradation of human life across society, widespread moral confusion, etc. At the root of this issue, and politics alone cannot repair it. Uh, but we owe it to our children to at least ensure their safety while at school. Israel has done it, and so can we. So now you know what some of our um, state officials are stating. Um, you may be wondering, okay, how did this kid, um, you know, attain his parents' guns, and do his parents get any sort of uh, repercussions from this. Well, just to let you know, Texas already has a law aimed at keeping parents illegally legally owned guns out of hands of the children, um, but it prevented Friday's um, shooting. And so seems like uh, Representative Phil King from Weatherford is saying that this is more of a reactive instead of a proactive uh, solution. Um, but currently with Texas law, uh, lawyers can go after parents whose children gain access to their loaded firearms but it's one of the weaker ones among the 27 states with a child access prevention law. Um, according to the Texas Tribune, 11 states require gun owners to lock their guns securely in the first place instead of just holding them accountable after any breaches of that security. Um, Texas so far has been very hostile to the type of gun regulation that many on the left call for in the wake of tragedies like, uh, like the Santa Fe shootings. Um, but two of the state's top Republican leaders, uh, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick 
and the Texas Senator John Cornyn, um, they both seem open to safe storage regulations. Um, I'm not sure exactly what that would entail, but again, Texas legislature, the session is coming up in 2019 of January. It'll be interesting to see how they move forward with this. Again, don't forget, you'll be voting, except for Senator Cornyn, you'll be voting for all this, your Texas state reps um, come in November. So if gun control is an issue that is exceptionally important to you, uh, this is a time to start listening in to what they're stating about these issues. And furthermore, ask your reps, go to these town hall meetings, ask them, start calling your rep your current representatives, especially since they're up for re-election in November. Uh, get a group together and start calling and asking what what is their gun control idea? What do they intend to do? Do they intend to introduce any sort of legislation? How will they vote on gun control legislation? Uh, this is what we all need to do if we really want some sort of gun reform to be enacted. All right, in the national news, uh, just real quick, um, you may have heard of the uh, the information that the Department of Homeland Security has admitted to losing nearly 1,500 children in their custody. Um, they were unaccompanied minors who arrived at the border, and then the news came out that the government forcibly separated kids from their families at the border. And then the ACLU, which is the American Civil Liberties Union, uh, released a report with horrifying details as to the abuses that children in custody at the border are being subjected to. And now that report came um, around from 2009 to 2012. So you should know that this happened during Obama's administration, not during Trump's administration. So it looks like the way children um, that were un unaccompanied minors that were received at the border, the Texas-Mexico border, um, were already subjected to harrowing and just really um, atrocious um, situations from DHS. And this was already happening under President Obama's administration and has continued um, under President Trump's administration. So it's uh, really been upsetting. And people, you know, have been using the hashtag on social media called Where Are the Children? Um, if you want to help, the best way is to contact your U.S. Senators and Representatives. Um, you know, their job is to have oversight of the DHS, which is the Department of Homeland Security, and hold them accountable. So calling them and stating that you're outraged by how our government is treating children at the border, um, ask the Senator and Rep what they're doing about it. And ask um, your family and friends to also call as well. That's the best way. Um, for them to feel the pressure and maybe spur them towards action to hopefully trying to fix this problem if there is any sort of uh, way to amend the situation. All right, folks, and now let's move on to our interview with Salman Bojani. He's a managing partner at Bojani Law, a full-service business law firm based in Irving, Texas. Besides being an attorney, Salman is an entrepreneur and was recently elected to the Ulysses City Council, becoming the first minority ever elected in that city. Salman embodies the American dream. He came to America 18 years ago, started at the bottom by mopping floors at gas stations, worked his way up, started his own business, earned a law degree, and launched his own law firm. He has lived on three continents, but Ulysses is his home. He lives there with his wife, Nima, his children, Arish and Raisha, and his parents. He enjoys traveling, playing ping pong, and spending time with his family. So joining us today is City Councilman for the City of Ulysses, uh, Salman Bojani. First of all, I want to congratulate you on your big victory. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for interviewing me. 
All right, so my first question um, to you is what made you want to run for city council? What motivated you? Well, as you know, there are, our community is not represented uh, very well in, in politics. Right. So that was my first motivation. And I saw a lot of uh, our colleagues running for offices and not uh, breaking 20% of the votes. And so I wanted to run a very professional campaign. I'm an attorney by profession so, and a business owner for, for a long time. And I wanted to make sure that I run a very professional campaign and it's not about our, our skin color or our faith, but more about the city politics and, and city issues. And that's what I tried to do in, in the campaign. And, um, you know, it has, it has worked so far for us. That's awesome. Well, you know, your campaign, um, you ended up winning the election. So you did run a very successful campaign. And your initial vote count on election, like election night, you had initially won by 37 votes, which is super close. Yes. Uh, what can you tell my listeners about the importance of voting and how every single vote literally counts? Absolutely, especially in this election, as you stated, less than 1%. I, I won by less than 1% of the votes. Uh, there were about 4,200 votes that were casted, and out of that, you know, 37 votes. So it's very, very uh, narrow margin of uh, victory, and that is because our, our community does not go out to vote as much, uh, although it's improving a little bit. But I think there, generally we need to make a plan to go out and vote. Uh, we, I think, are good people generally, and, and we want to contribute to you know the, the political environment and, and political climate. But I think we just have so many things on our plate that unless we make a informed plan to say, okay, I'm going to go vote today at 2 p.m. and I'm going to take off work, or I'm going to go, you know, drop the kids and or and then go out to vote at, at 10 o'clock. It's not going to happen. And what we need to do is we need to make a plan not only for ourselves, but take a family member or take the entire family. And I think it, it'd be best for our community to do that with, with family, with the kids as well, so that way they learn, right? So not only are right. we training ourselves to vote, but also we're training the next generation to vote. And I would really urge everybody to go out and vote in every single election and be more informed about who's running and, and what's going on. And there are community leaders that they can talk to, or if they go on Facebook, I'm sure that they'll find out who to vote for. But I think we, and, and if we do, do not vote, and we do not have a voice in politics, and that's what hurts us most because we have a lot of candidates that run for office, but uh -huh. they don't get their own community support, right? And so then they get really bogged down, they get really depressed, and they don't run next time, which is very, this is going to hurt us in the long run. Yeah, and so if you don't mind me asking, what do you feel that you did that was different than maybe other South Asians that to motivate the community, our community, to vote? I think it was important to speak to them uh, and, and I did did that one-on-one, -on -one, right? I mean, when you're speaking to them in a whole crowd, I, I went and spoke to, there was a Pakistan day on March 23rd, I went and spoke to a huge crowd. Out of that, you know, people don't get as, as excited as when you knock on their doors. So we knocked on 5,000 doors in order to get 2,000 votes. So a lot of and grassroots that, organization. Absolutely. Exactly. All right. That's what it takes, and it's the easiest way to do it. All right, that's good to know. So, you know, while you were running your campaign, it seemed like you faced a lot of bigotry with just the voters, right? Um, I remember, you know, checking out your Facebook campaign page and seeing what some of the people would say to you or to your wife. Um, I want to ask, like, how did you overcome it? And were you able to change some of their minds? 
unfortunately it's very difficult to change someone's mind who's already made up and who wants to give us hatred and you know wants to make it a point to do that right they could easily go in and vote against us and and be done with it but right. somebody who's making it a point and saying you guys are terrorists you guys are muslims i'm not going to vote for you uh, you know go back to your country you're not american you're not american so all that i mean i think it's very difficult to change them i think it will it will take some time and i have that burden on my shoulders right now and i, I know that as a minority as a first minority in in the history of ulus and as a first muslim in ulus lot of eyes are on me trying to see you know if if what does this guy do you know is 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 he going to live up to what we hoped for him and the people that were running after me will also point at me and say what did salman do if salman did a good job it will help them in the future so that's i know that i do have to set a really good role model for my future you know candidates that will come in from the community and beyond but i think to answer your question it, it that the way i dealt with it is i looked at what's at, in my core and in my core is my family and the love i have for them at the end of the day that's not going to change regardless of the election victory or or loss right and so i put that aside and i said look regardless of we win or lose the family is going to stay with me let's project the best values that i have that my parents have taught me that my religion has taught me that uh-huh. my community has taught me and so that's what i try to do Wow, um and and I must say you must have thick skin to have faced so much adversity and overcome it and end up winning the election. So I think people, you know, you know, should definitely take notice in that that despite all of that you still won the election and were successful. Um but I also kind of want to pivot over to not only just a bigotry that you face with voters. Let's talk about Representative Stickland. <laughs> he is your state representative, right? He's the one that represents you in Austin and you know, he essentially called you a liberal even though you were running for a nonpartisan position. He attacked you based on your faith and you know, how did that make you feel like this is you're technically his constituent? absolutely and that that was really disheartening because you know the people that come in to vote I uh-huh. mean, they're not held to that higher of a standard as a state official you know right. there's a free speech obviously i respect that you know constitution uh, but when you, when you come to a state representative and my state representative who should be asking me questions before making statements like that now he's he should be held to a higher standard and that's what made me really upset and uh, nbc called me on wednesday monday he made the statement on the first day of early voting and then wednesday nbc called and said uh did you read that statement are you going to make it are you, you going to respond to that i was like yes but i i've just been busy at the polls right i mean he's got paid staff that is helping my opponent so i'm not only fighting my opponent i'm also fighting my state representative it's really tough for me but that night i went home you know wrote that uh, response and put it on facebook and had like 15 20000 hits on that So you know people really saw that that you know here's a David versus Goliath story where you know Goliath is trying to interfere it you know and so it just it made really uh, headlines and, and even until today news articles are being published on us you know right. uh, locally as well as internationally as nationally Yeah and I mean I think I mean I I follow the the house a lot uh when the legislature is in session and so he he has a reputation that precedes him that's for sure um but yeah I was I was absolutely floored when I saw his Facebook statement I was like it I felt like the bigotry was it was so plain and it's like in plain sight essentially right like it's so exactly. yeah. the, you know like you always know that there's some underlying tone and a lot of right. times politicians will kind of like skirt around the issue not be that upfront about it and it's yes. almost like okay do you give him credit that he was so upfront <laughs> and outright 
deeply bigoted instead of being skirting the issue or I don't know it was just I, I think I think it says something about a political climate right yeah it seems since the president has been elected you know he said you know uh, awful things about muslims and the muslim ban and what not i think he's it's he's given license to people to say it outright people before used to say it in their bedrooms and their living rooms now they're out on streets and social media and just saying you know really crazy things that you know usually would you you would think that they would whisper to each other right saying out in the open and so that's i mean i, I totally get your point and it's I, it doesn't make it legitimate right and right what he tries to make it seem that oh i'm just being honest well what does religion have to do with elected officials I nothing don't get that, right? absolutely nothing so, it's never it's yeah. not even in the constitution that you have to absolutely. be a certain religion and and i mean absolutely. i i think it was a very un-american comment I mean, Absolutely. I think that's the best way to describe it. And and people are saying, are you gonna, you know, get us get an oath on the Quran? Uh-huh. I said, you know, it, I I don't think there's there's any need to bring in religion here. You know, it's a United States Constitution which I'm you know swearing by. So let let's keep it that way, right? Right. I think people may have felt more comforted by that as well because now that I'm elected, I'm still I'm not bringing that religion into it, right? I'm making sure that it's all about the city and and my passion to serve the citizens of U.S. Exactly. And I mean, I think people tend to forget that this country was built upon the separation of church and state. And um, that's something I feel like that is not being upheld um, by many politicians across America. Um, All right. So, you know, since you faced so much adversity during your campaign, you were successful. I want to ask, what's your advice to those South Asians and Muslims or Muslims who want to run for office, but, you know, they feel kind of wary due to the current political climate? I would ask them not to give up hope because there is light at the end of the tunnel. They need to run a very professional campaign. As It's unfortunate, but as minorities, as Muslims, we have to raise the bar and we have to run a very, very professional campaign and do a lot of hard work where, you know, maybe a, a, a white, you know, um, person that was in my shoes may not have to do as much. So, but, but we already know that. So that should be part of our DNA already. And we should think, okay, I need to have so many volunteers. I need to have so much. Like I had about $30,000 donation of a contribution, campaign contribution. That's, a, that's, I think, six or seven times more than anybody has raised out there. So... Uh, we uh-huh. need, we'll need more donations. We'll need more volunteers. We'll need to knock on more doors and what what will be necessary. But it's it's and and keep it to the city, whatever your district is. Keep it to that. You know, okay. don't don't talk about issues that are go outside. You know, like, uh, Stickland tried to bring in the abortion issue or the gun control issue, and I didn't even address it because I had never even spoken about it. So so I think there will be a lot of detractors that will talk about their faith and they will remind us that we're Muslims or we're minority. But I think we need to go above that. You know, and, and really talk about the more what matters the most to the voters. And be present on social media as well. I mean, to just to say that I knocked on 5,000 dollars and that's it, that was not enough. We made so many calls. We were on social media. We did a lot of paid ads and Facebook, Twitter. And so I think that all is needed, you know, to run a really professional campaign. Okay, yeah. I um, hope that some of our listeners, you know, who are maybe on the fence about running for any sort of elected position, um, you know, we'll take your advice into account and still be motivated to run for office, regardless of, you know, the adversity that any South Asian or Muslim candidate is going to face right now in this political and I'd like climate. To offer, I'd like to offer also that, you know, my help. I mean, I am very passionate about this. If anybody wants to seek out and wants to run for office, I'm happy to help them in any capacity. They can reach out on, on Facebook or any social media or through my, uh, I have a law firm as well and I'm, I'm out there as well. So they can reach out to me anyway. Okay, thank you so much for that. Um, That's awesome. 
it's important for our community to stick together and help each other out. Absolutely. Well, Salman, thank you so much for joining us. I want to thank you again and congratulations. And I know that you had your swearing in already, so you probably are on the job. And so best of luck with that. Thank you. Thank you, Azra, for having me. All right, folks, that's our segment for today. I hope you enjoyed the interview. Last but not least, don't forget, elections are coming up in November. Make sure you register to vote. Get your friends and family registered to vote. And start wising up on the candidates. It's, November may seem far off, but it literally will be here before you know it. So you won't have any excuses in November being like, oh, my God, I don't know who to vote for. Because I'm reminding you and telling you now, all the candidates are set. We know who's running. We know who's on the Republican side, the independents, the Democrats. Start reading up on them and figuring out what their policy issues are so that you are well prepared to know who you want to vote for in November. All right, everyone. Um, I hope you all have a great week. And until next time, don't forget, get educated, get wiser, and let's start giving a hoot.